I'm Alex Marlowe, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. In the opening of today's show, I explain why I thought the Super Bowl actually shouldn't use cringes, even though I didn't even watch it. Uh, this is because the halftime show featured woke establishment rapper Eminem kneeling in solidarity with anti-America, anti-cop, and increasingly irrelevant Colin Kaepernick. The whole event was like a rehab show for washed up old rappers who are 20 years past their prime and have just savaged Americans, particularly conservative Americans, over the years. I give all the details why uh, I'm not forgiving the NFL uh, yet for their wokeism. Uh, while the establishment media is 100% convinced that World War III is about to begin starting at the Russia-Ukraine border, I share how I'm increasingly convinced it's all a manipulation to control the news cycle and get Americans to focus on anything other than, you know, the Biden inflation, the continued mask insanity and torture of our children, and the wild success of the Canadian trucker convoy, which is spreading, spreading around the world. Uh, all that in the opening, plus some more headlines. Two great guests today. Sean Spicer, who comments on the Durham revelations from over the weekend that Hillary Clinton did, in fact, spy on Donald Trump. Uh, he was White House press secretary at the time when even suggesting such a thing was cancelable. And so he has a unique perspective because it turned out to be entirely true. Then Amanda Milius joins us. She is a documentarian. She did the brilliant plot against the president movie based on Lee Smith's great book. And she helps me break down why the Durham revelations are such a big deal. And she shares why she's actually optimistic that people are finally understanding what's happening, what has happened, and that justice does need to be served. Then we get into what is increasingly my favorite slashed least favorite topic, which is the oligarchy and how there really are two forms of justice in this country. And we're getting so bifurcated in that way. And it's very scary. All of that to come. But first, a word from our sponsors. still not seeing overwhelming evidence that there's going to be some sort of massive invasion of Ukraine by the Russians. And the entire media wants us to see that. They want us to see what's happening in the Ukrainian-Russian border where Russia is moving troops around, which is not entirely atypical. In fact, it's probably more typical than atypical. And uh, you've got a lot of uh, tough talk coming out from Big Joey the Biden warning Russia. It's going to be severe costs. You're going to have to, you know what the severe costs are going to be? You have to do more Zoom calls with Big Joey and you have to stare at his skeletal face and hair plugs. So we're keeping a close tabs on this at Breitbart. We're seeing, you know, the Vatican is very disturbed by what's going on. The UK and the EU are urging evacuations from Ukraine. Um, they couldn't go along with the narrative, could they? Lloyd Austin sending 3,000 troops to Poland. So we're getting ready to go here. We're getting ready to go. But it is, there, there are some things that they give me the impression maybe this is not exactly what the media wants it to be. Like for example, Ukraine doesn't seem to be nearly as disturbed as the American media. Uh, Big Joey went, for, went to Camp David over the weekend. So I don't know if that's, he's going there because he thinks we're about to uh, have a massive world war breakout. And then you had Jake Sullivan, who is, I guess, the national security advisor and a Russian hoax uh, specialist someone who pushed the Russia collusion lies about as much as anyone. He gave a press conference where he was pretty incoherent last weekend, and just the media does not ask him any probing questions at all to show you they're illiterate on the issue, which, of course, at Breitbart with Francis Martel, they're not illiterate. But that was 
a theme that we had on our coverage on Breitbart on our Friday. I won't go back too far, spend too much time on it. But the uh, it, it is, he's not credible on this topic. He is a Russian collusion hoaxer. But he's out there talking about how the invasion could come at any day. And then the design is, of course, we talk about that and we don't talk about you know other stuff. So if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Be happy to come in and eat these words before war breaks out. And if it does, let me be clear. It's always a possibility, as I've said over and over again. I'll say it over and over again and again and again. If Putin is alive, he is thinking about the USSR and he would like to bring it back for sure. But would he perhaps put himself in anything less than a totally ideal situation to try to make a move? No, he's he's too shrewd for that. And he's playing too long of a game. So uh, that is, I think, something that, uh, that should be considered. Um, though that will lead every single website today throughout the day because the military industrial complex would probably like to see a war. And we know how much they are running so much of our corporate media and so much of the Democratic Party politics as well as much of the Re Republican establishment politics. And the conversation of whether or not big Joey Biden can lead us through this through this crisis is far preferable than, than just about everything else that's going on in the United States at the moment. Like, for example, if you went to a Super Bowl party this weekend, then you probably saw the price of wings and guacamole and chips and snacks and everything up huge, about 8% over last year, which is the main issue. You know, I know all of you are uh, witnessing this. I filled up my gas tank yesterday for $109, which is typical. I like to report my gas tank prices to you guys. You guys know I do. I think it's meaningful. I mean, that's a big tax, particularly on the working class. All of a sudden, you know, it could be spending 400 bucks a month in gas, depending on where you live. It's a huge chunk. And then you start seeing things like the basics at the grocery store getting more expensive. And um, things trickle from there. Because remember, we could hit one of these inflation spirals because the economy has got some bright spots in it. So maybe this means people do get the raises and the inflation goes up from there. So uh, th that, that is what to keep an eye on. And what are the Democrats blaming it on? They're blaming it on corporate greed. That's what's behind the inflation, according to the genius Elizabeth Warren. So you know who the greediest people are on, on planet Earth, according to John Carney of Breitbart? It's apparently big crackers. No, that's not, a, that's not a race joke. It's not a racial comment. Big crackers, because cracker prices are up 12.6%. So uh, th those of you over at Ritz, those of you over at Saltines, those are the greedy, greedy monsters among us according to Elizabeth Warren. Cost of shrimp is up 22%, ham 10%, general snacks category 8.2%, lunch meats 8.2%. Guacamole is up 58%. So avocados, I guess. I remember recently, I, I have an incredible guacamole recipe and I should share it with the audience, but I keep some things close to the vest. Some things I'm very open about with you guys, but not stuff like, how to mash up avocados with uh, herbs and spices and serrano peppers. Um, but I mentioned I had a great guacamole recipe and I got more email on that than I get if I gave the most brilliant monologue you've ever heard about the news. It's funny how that is. I, I mentioned there's a, a Made America hoodie brand that I like and I got 20 emails on that immediately. Boom. What's that brand? What's that brand? I got to hear about it. I can't, it's a free ad. I can't share. So you can, you can buy advertising on the show. Lord knows we, we have enough of it. Cost of chicken wings, 27% up. We're a chicken wing household here uh, since the pandemic and we started to cook. And I'm a big barbecue guy. 
and the wings are good. I'll tell you, uh, Molly, my sister, who is a Carmat moderator, Breitbart, she she can rock a wing. She knows how to do the all the sauces and seasonings. And when she's here, which is often, I mean, it's wing time. Well, 22% higher. So I'm joking around just to make it somewhat entertaining. But it really, I mean, that's what's happening in the country. It is not, you know, some sort of uh, people clamoring for war. This is a hoax. It's a hoax that, that we want it and that we're super interested in it. That the, the, the country is dying to figure out what's going to happen with, ooh, Putin's uh, sliding troops around. Lloyd Austin uh, slid a, f- a few troops around. A few other things I want to bring up. I did not watch. Um, I don't like the NFL, and the NFL is a, a bunch of a bunch of phonies, and their fake social justice warrior pandering. I'm not over it. Um, I've not watched since the Colin Kaepernick stuff, where with all the kneeling and the disrespecting of the flag and the lying about it, and then the pandering to the left, doing what um, we all hate so much when the left raises unreasonable grievances and then you take them seriously as if they're acting in good faith and not just trying to destroy an American institution, which they always have. Remember, they've always had it out for football. Um, and they've used previous scandals in the past to try to get a lot of leverage from the NFL. And uh, because the, what is the NFL? It is incredibly masculine. It's meritocracy, teamwork. It is a lot of stuff where uh, you learn a lot of traditional values if you're a football player. And it, it teaches you it's not equal. It's not fair. I mean, the quarterback is by far the most important and glamorous position on the field. And then there is a lot of people who are, you know, offensive linemen who will never touch football in their careers. And they will run into big, scary people and block them from the people who do touch the football. That is their whole career. And this is an amazing thing. If you, if you are, have the discipline to have a role like that on a team, it's incredibly useful. Because sometimes in your life, maybe you're the quarterback. Sometimes in your life, maybe you're, you know, the, uh, uh, maybe you're in one of those positions where you're just merely someone who's blocking other people who are trying to run at the quarterback. It's all useful stuff. And it's sort of things that the left has always kind of balked at. And so they've always had out for it. And then uh, Ka- Kaepernick was the one who really drew blood with the kneeling and the protesting. And it turned off a lot of people like you guys. I remember some of those shows when it was happening, when it was live. I, we'd never seen call volume like that ever. I mean, people were so fired up. They were in- incensed. And even though the NFL has dialed back a lot of the wokeness, they still do stupid stuff like putting the words end racism in the end zone, which first of all, who actually likes racism? There's like 11 people left. Other than, of course, you know, the institutional left, ironically. Those are the people who want to bring us back to a more racist time. And the NFL is 70% black. So why why are we... If the NFL was... Uh, if we weren't such a racist country, how many people in the NFL would, would be black then? Would it be over 100%? So it's just the sort of thing where I'm not over it yet. And I don't think you guys should be too. But I do think that they've dialed back a lot of the wokeness. And when you see other sports leagues ramp it up the nba is still horrific um and the nba has got the very distracting goofy mask policies and you know even major league baseball and you know it's it's they're all bad i mean you see even the pga tour which canceled the pga championship from uh, trump's bedminster course which is still it's not something i'm over completely and that that is uh where i'm at so I know I'm sure a lot more conservative to watch this time than last time. I know there's sports betting, which is, I'm not a, a sports better. I've, play, I've placed a few bets when I've gone to Vegas over the years, but I do think Americans should be free to do that stuff, though it is highly addictive and you should be very careful. 
Um, but, you know, sports betting is mostly legal at the moment throughout most of the country. So I think that added a lot of interest. But uh, if you watched what you probably saw, you probably saw a couple things, some good, some bad. The good was the ads were not that woke. Many years at Breitbart, you know, I have to do full deployment of the whole team to police woke ads because you get stuff like, remember when Gillette did the toxic masculinity ad where they were like kind of scolding people if they left their boys rough house while they uh, uh, drank a cold one at a barbecue? That was That's the real problem facing us, guys. There's too many men drinking cold ones, watching their kids rough house. That's the issue, watching their boys rough house. So that's what they were doing for years. And then this time they didn't seem to do any of that. Again, I didn't watch all of it. But I'm still not over the fact that they had the NFL spend $250 million on a social justice fund. And look at who was in the, the halftime show. The halftime show was rehab for woke old rappers who were over the hill. Eminem, who called Trump a B-I-T-C-H, um, has rapped about sexually assaulting Ann Coulter, has rapped about some of my own colleagues at Breitbart. You've got 50 Cent, who said F Trump, did not use the letter, used the word. He was in there. Snoop Dogg called black conservatives, uh, I think he called them coons. Yeah, yeah, the coon bunch. That's what you referred to black conservatives. And we're all golf clapping because because the ads weren't as woke. No, thank you. I'm not in. I'm not in on that. Like I can't. These people are frauds. And like, why are they rehabilitating all these woke rappers? I don't. The, who, the, this is not exactly entertainment in my viewpoint. And I feel like we're getting rolled because you saw Eminem take a knee. Obviously, no homage Colin Kaepernick, which you can bet the NFL knew was happening, and the NFL is fine with it. That's a wink and a nod, in my opinion. We had some coverage of Breitbart, which was kind of interesting. Our celebrities were all going maskless. Uh, L.A. still maintains mask mandates where the Super Bowl was. They still have vaccine passports, and the kids are still masked. It is, I was looking at it because I still have friends and family in L.A., and I know that there's some uh, you know, school board elections coming up, and I couldn't find any candidates who are openly you know, against keeping the mask on the kids, torturing the kids. They want to torture the kids. The mask never worked and the kids hate them. They did not work on the kids. They didn't work on any of us either. I will tell you, yesterday, I went to a uh, Shake Shack restaurant and they obnoxiously and passive aggressively handed me a paper face diaper because I was a diapless. And they handed it to me and I begrudgingly fixed it to the top of my head. And then I kind of pulled it down, roughly in my face region until I got my food, which was for Master Marlo, Master Marlo Jr. And when Master Marlo, Master Marlo Jr. were eating the food, I ran out of napkins. And I had this thought. I took my blue paper face diaper out of my pocket and I wiped down Master Marlo Jr. with the mask, much to the delight of Mrs. Dr. Marlo. She loved it. And I said to her flat out, this is the most utility I've gotten out of a mask in two years. This is it. I'm now using it as an emergency, as, a, as, as an emergency uh, a wet nap for the boys. It was great. It was really, and it was entertaining. But anyway, uh, it's it just unbelievable to watch these celebrities defy the uh, mask rules, which you're supposed to wear masks in the stadium. And uh, every single one of them, none of them, none of them will stand up and say, 
it is insane that LA keeps uh, masks on kids, even as much of the country has dropped masks. So that that is hopefully illustrative, but it's hard to say. Um, a couple other sports stories I want to bring up at the top. Uh, the you know how we've been uh, tracking all these Chinese athletes who are not really Chinese; they're American and they're competing for China in the Olympics. Particularly, the worst person in the world, Eileen Gu, who uh, we've talked about nonstop on the show, who won gold medal for China, at least one, maybe more. But at this point, I, I kind of tuned out on it. But uh, I'll, I'll pick it up. I'll pick it up. The, the week is young. Um, but there's an a, a amazing figure skater named Nathan Chen who is has a Chinese ancestry, but is skiing for um, ski. I'm sorry, uh, skating for a team USA and a truly exceptional athlete. And he won a gold medal and China is mad at him because he's a traitor because in the fans on Weibo, which is the China sort of Twitter version, uh, we're attacking him as for being too white and needs to get out of China because he's got Chinese ancestry and competed for the USA. So they're not going to be satisfied there in China. So we're sending them athletes and they're winning gold for them, but we didn't send them enough. Do you guys get it with the one child policy? Uh, the one child policy, the one China policy. China thinks that we are future China. Just don't forget that we are future China. The United States of America is future China in the eyes of China. And even if we're not talking about, you know, literally China planting a flag here, they're going to be planting a flag in terms of influence, in terms of ideals, ideology, values, all that's coming. If it's not already here. And this Cantor Freedom, who is an NBA player and was famous for standing up to Erdogan, the Turkish regime, and then has taken up the cause of the pro-freedom uh, Hong Kong protesters and now has been a big opponent of the Chinese regime and embraced by a lot of people with my political worldview. Um, he's attacked LeBron James for his obsequiousness to Xi Jinping. He stood up on behalf of the Uyghurs. Two years ago, he was averaging well over 10 points a game in the NBA. Last year, he barely played at all. Then he was traded from the Boston Celtics to the Houston Rockets, and then he was waived. So now he's not in the NBA. Do you think there's a chance there's a blacklisting here? And, and if there is, then the league will get away with it because they'll make the case. They'll say, well, he's not that great anymore. Well, he was scoring 12 points a game two years ago. I think it's pretty good. But I do think that, you know, because he's not an all-star, then I think there's a chance they might get away with it. Because if all of a sudden they told, you know, Kyrie Irving or uh, Steph Curry, for whatever reason, that they can't play anymore, everyone go, wait a minute, these are like two of the best guys in the league. But if you get a guy who's kind of, you know, the eighth or ninth best guy on his team and say he can't play, they might get away with it. So I'm worried about this one. I'm worried about this one because he's one of the few brave people out there because he's doing this. It will not help his career to have these viewpoints. That's actual bravery. What LeBron does standing up to uh, the bad orange man, Donald Trump, that helps his career. That's a career boost for them. Which, by the way, I will connect that with the Super Bowl ads and the lack of wokeness in those ads. Um, I do think uh, I'm very cynical about it. I think all these companies would be woke if the woke moment wasn't having a bit, the pendulum wasn't swinging back a little bit. There's been so much talk over the last year, uh, much of it on the show, about how woke corporations are uh, just a massive threat. It was a big theme in my book, and we've uh, you know talked to many authors who've written about this stuff. I think people are getting it, that the, the uh, corporations, 
imposing woke values is uh, incredibly dishonest and not really American. It's not really the point of our system. And it's, it's looking very late stage capitalism-y when you're seeing these companies that are worth billions of dollars and have benefited so much from the American system and then they're just you know spending years trashing America, which is what's been done. I think people are getting the picture that they, come on. Uh, by the way, so many of your heroes, uh, Elon Musk, the world's richest man, will pay $0 in federal tax from his uh, Tesla company. $5.5 billion in profit last year, producing very few cars uh, relative to competitors that have much smaller market cap, you know, pay no taxes. Must be a good system. I got to tell you guys, this is the key. If you want to be get to the top, the very top, the tippy top, it is not about having a great product. It is, even though that helps, it is about cutting deals to the government that are favorable for you. And not to mention, remember, he's, you guys, if you get Musk product, um, not SpaceX, but if you get a Tesla, you, you could get a tax write-off or an extra tax incentive that basically equates to like a $7,000 break. So if you're getting a car that's worth $80,000, uh, and you're competing with a BMW that's worth $80,000 in your mind, like, and you're thinking you're choosing between the two, you're getting like a seven grand break from Tesla. I mean, that is a, a massive market incentive put in place by our government to encourage you to buy from Musk who doesn't pay any taxes, or at least Tesla doesn't. Good stuff, right? You know, maybe the math stuff in school, I mean, maybe that's even like kind of the minimal stuff. I mean, I hate them so much, but you see stuff, Rhode Island at a private school uh, event that excludes white students. Wrote this up at Breitbart. The Wheeler School in Providence excluded white students from attending a guest speaker event, allowing only those who identified as a student of color or multiracial to attend. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There are a few racists out there. Like, it's actually a racist thing. It's literally racist when you're excluding white people from an event, right? Or maybe not. Maybe it's not racist. Another outrageous speaker event, uh, the Pentagon's National Defense University is hosting a lecturer with a actual communist, like a Western communist, a guy named Thomas Piketty, who is a darling of the left-wing intellectual class. I think he's a French guy. And he's written some books, but in particular, one called Capital in the 21st Century, which was jokingly called Das Kapital in the 21st Century, because it's pretty much pure Marxism. I need a moment where he was kind of the biggest star intellectually in the world. I would say about 2014. And he's basically a guy who advocates for Marxism. He advocates for a command and control economy where equality is imposed by the, you know, corporate government establishment. So that's, that is um, what is being done. And now he's been invited to speak at the, a very important institution for our United States defense. Um, my pal, Dr. Gorka, was incensed about this, sent us some quotes at Breitbart. Uh, he says, the NDU is where colonels go to become generals. Says, the event is, prevent is presented by the Pentagon Strategic Multilayer Assessment Program in collaboration with National Defense University's Eisenhower School of National Security. Eisenhower's name his institution is being used to host an event promoting socialism in America. I'm not even disgusted. That's not a strong enough word. I'm horrified. Yeah, me too. Can't say I'm surprised, though. There's a big difference. 
between being offended and surprised. Uh, one piece of good news comes from PETA, but you didn't expect that coming. But PETA's unveiled a mosaic featuring tortured monkeys and beagles in a tribute to Anthony Fauci's legacy. So some people are coming around. Are they coming around fast enough? That I don't know. The Ukraine leaders are asking for uh, evidence behind the new invasion warnings. This is what Jake Sullivan wouldn't provide and the media doesn't care. So the whole world's telling Ukraine you're about to get invaded and Ukraine's like, can you please show us the evidence? No, we don't have one to talk about all the other horrible stuff that's going on. That's the point. Uh, a few things I will plug quickly. If you're so inclined, I was on Peter Schweitzer's podcast that came out on Friday. It's called The Drill Down. It's a good podcast anyway. I recommend it a lot. Um, I got to hang out with Peter in person, and uh, that's a good episode. Uh, you can find that at breitbart.com. Um, and wherever you get your podcast, you can get that. Always, and uh, those of you who don't listen to the new Breitbart News daily podcast, I do recommend it. Um, I don't talk about it as much because I kind of feel like I made that pitch to you guys. But as the, any of you, if you're new to the show, show is available on or a kind of director's cut of the show is available as a podcast with some original content, um, but also some highlights from the show as well. Another thing to plug on Breitbart News Saturday, Matt Boyle had a really interesting interview with Jeremy Peters, who's a New York Times writer. And he's got a new book out called Insurgency, How Republicans Lost Their Party and Got Everything They Ever Wanted, which is kind of a slightly left-wing guy's um, take on the Republican Civil War that was fought basically starting with the 2012 autopsy report when Mitt Romney got his butt kicked by Barack Obama. And a lot of people on the establishment concluded, Republican establishment concluded, you know, we needed a number one order of business was a massive amnesty, which basically led to a rapid rise from Breitbart and others who saw through the BS right away. Um, and uh, it doesn't sound like 100% of this is accurate, but there's some interesting stuff in there. And he does recommend that a Breitbart-style playbook will have Republicans winning elections. And when you get away from that, then they, they do tend to lose. And that's totally true. So I would recommend that. It's a good interview that Boyle did on Saturday's show, and you can get the audio on uh, Breitbart.com on the front page as well. Uh, what other thing to plug? Uh, you don't want to miss John Nolte's article on the Canadian truckers. Truck drivers are the atlas that finally shrugged uh, at Breitbart.com. Another one that I just flat out will recommend. I got so many emails on this. Very powerful piece. And it is something that is, um, I think, uh, uh, something I'm proud of from my uh, real-life godfather, John Nolte. does a great job on this thing, laying out exactly why the trucker convoy matters so much. And we had a uh, amazing interview with BJ Dichter, which you can get on Friday's podcast, who is the spokesperson for the convoy. That also is a high recommendation for all of you. All right, we'll take a break. First guest today, Sean Spicer, former White House press secretary with President Trump, and he's just a perfect guy to comment on the Durham revelations because he was the one who was tasked with trying to explain uh, that Hillary Clinton was, in fact, trying to spy on Donald Trump back when he was press secretary. And everyone thought that he was nuts and Trump was nuts and everyone should be canceled. And as it turned out, all of it turns out to be true. Uh, sadly, we learned about it, you know, over Super Bowl weekend uh, five years later, but that's the state of the world we're in. We get his thoughts on it right now. 
Sean, great to have you on the broadcast. And I, I want to dive in with you to the biggest story the media insists is happening, which is the imminent World War III between Russia and Ukraine. Look, I, I'm, I uh, take uh, uh, Zelensky's word for it that what is happening there is pretty much business as usual and there won't be an invasion. But hey, I read in the Associated Press and at CNN that the invasion could be happening. So where are we at? You know, I, it's an interesting question because it, it, you got Zelensky over there saying that Biden's creating the situation, fanning the flames, creating hysteria. Um, I saw a report on one of the mainstream outlets where you've got the reporter saying, you know, if you are on the streets of Kiev, it looks like business as usual. People are, you know, out going about their business. So, you know, it's interesting because you're back here in the United States trusting um, some of the reports. And, and I, I just don't know. I mean, it's interesting because Lindsey Graham was on one of the programs yesterday saying that there are so many more things that Congress could be doing um, in terms of sanctions and really making Russia feel the heat. And I kind of agree with him on this, which is, you know, what are we doing to show Russia that we're serious on this? Because if you're Putin and you've seen Biden, uh, you know, after Crimea and the annexation thereof, where they didn't really feel any consequences, you're thinking to yourself, you know, I don't think that this guy's that serious. So I, I don't know. It's it's tough for me because you you're when you're on the outside, you don't have the intelligence reports. You're relying on the mainstream media, and it's funny. I, I just don't trust the mainstream media the way they're reporting it right now. And they sort of take everything that the Biden administration is doing and report it just straight up. Um, in fact, you know, it got a lot of media attention, but you've yeah. got Ned Price at the State Department the other day saying, well, there's these false flag operations. And Matt Lee from the AP saying, OK, show us the intelligence. And he's saying, well, this is it. I'm telling you it. And it's, I just don't trust right, exactly. what they're saying anymore. And I think that's the point here is that the Biden administration's expectations are that they tell us what is going on and we don't need any proof. We don't need any evidence. We just need flat out um, uh, take their word for it. And that's it. And that's where we are. And I just think that that is um, uh, perhaps too arrogant on Biden's uh, part. But I don't know if he has any other options right now because to talk about what's really going on in the world is not good because then we're going to be on inflation. We're going to be on the, uh, you know, celebrities not wearing the mask at the Super Bowl, but your three-year-old has to wear a mask at daycare. I mean, they're going to be back on that stuff, which is not a good thing for them to talk about. They don't want to talk about that. Well, can I, can I just – the other thing that we're not talking about is this Durham report that came out over the weekend. Sure. Which, you know, as somebody who was part of that 2016 campaign, that, that now – you know, in this, you've got this viral video going around President Trump on 60 Minutes with Leslie Stahl, where she's saying there is no proof that, you know, there was spying going on during the campaign. And now you have Durham literally putting out this report that Hillary Clinton's campaign had paid for this to go on. And no one's yeah. covering it. All these reporters who were so indignant that nothing happened from CNN to the Washington Post to 60 Minutes, who were insistent. That President Trump was lying, that none of this could have possibly happened, are nowhere to be found. No one covered it yesterday on all these Sunday shows. They found so much time to cover every other thing yesterday, and not one of them mentioned it. It's just so funny how they, you know, it's like they, they, they literally can't find two seconds to talk about how wrong they were. 
Well, what's interesting is uh, I wrote an entire book on this one called Breaking the News, where I talked about how they're not even uh, looking at their business models, not even about ratings anymore, because at Breitbart, just a simple write-up of the Durham filing that suggested that Clinton operative spied on Trump in 2016 and in the White House, it was it got 7,000 comments for us at Breitbart. And I mean, that's a, and we'll do multiple verticals on, on the story, and we'll get tens of thousands of comments. I mean, hundreds of thousands of page views at a minimum. And, you know, they don't cover it at places like CNN, obviously not because um, not because they don't want the traffic. They're not covering it because they know that it exposes them for being frauds. That's why they have to ignore it, because the if they really just cared about money, if they just cared about money, then they would they would report it because the audience uh, news consumers want this information. Yeah, well, you're right. And I did love the book, by the way, I think. Because that's the point is that they know it's a good story, but I mean, I wrote, you know, it, it, I, I, I have sort of detailed in my own books that I was there having this discussion with Jay Tapper at CNN um, yeah. when it came to him calling me about the dossier, the way it came out on, on, on in January of 2017, and telling him, hey, look, I was in the, the classified briefing with President Trump. And then candidate Trump, I, I it, you know, the way that you're reporting it didn't happen. And him telling me why I have sources, and I'm like, well, I was one of 10 people in the meeting. I can tell you how this happened. Um, but now none of these people want to actually go back and and sort of update, as they say in the news business, their reporting. It's just it, it's mind blowing how they can literally sit there and continue to be wrong. Um, and yet here you have Durham, you know, in these in these. Um, I don't even know the legal term, but I mean this this document that he's put out now, where it literally details the the lengths to which these folks on the left went to during the Clinton campaign to set up Trump, and that's what it is. I mean, think about how bad this is, because how complicit this is. It's not just. I mean, he literally details how this tech executive and that these individuals set out to set Trump up. I mean, this, this, if this was any other scenario, this would be leading the news because you've created a scenario where folks in a campaign created a, a, a narrative where then a candidate, then a president was, was, you know, um, was set up to look like he was, you know, undertaken by the Russians and had this false relationship. And I mean, over and over again, as White House press secretary, I would stand up there and hear about the Russia this and the Russia that, when we now know that that was a bought and paid for lie by folks on the left. And none of, and, and, and all of these people in the media were complicit in spreading it. And, and no one thinks, if I was part of that, I would be sitting back right now saying, oh my gosh, who are these people that, that did that to me? I cannot believe I was party to that. And yet none of them are turning around and saying Mark Elias, the Democratic super sure. lawyer. None of these people on the left who did that. I, I, I mean, now I, I look like, you know, if, if I were a reporter that was part of that, I would want to go, you know, hold them accountable. And yet no one, no one did that. No one is out there on the left saying, I, you know, from CNN or the Washington Post, gosh, we need to hold these folks on the left complicit, accountable for, for making us part of their scheme. No, in fact, their view is, oh, okay, you know, he kind of deserved it. 
Yeah, precisely. Again, Sean Spicer is with me, Spicer and Company and Newsmax, former White House press secretary. His latest book is Radical Nation, uh, which I recommend as well. Uh, Sean, uh, let me. Uh, so, so uh, from this, uh, d- did you speak to President Trump about this? He put out some pretty uh, barn burner statements on this, uh, but his, uh, you know, he says this is worse than Watergate, which is, it seems like that was kind of our thought. The Breitbart newsroom seems very Watergate esque the way this is. The only thing for me that makes it not like Watergate is that this is a, a totally expected to me. And in fact, I wonder why took Durham so long to figure this out. seems like kind of a no-brainer that we would have figured this out a long time ago. Um, And it just seems like, you know, we kind of drop it in the middle of a Super Bowl weekend. It seems, I don't know, all all of it kind of makes me roll my eyes to a certain degree. Uh, But is a, what do you think of the reaction was, or what was the reaction within Trump world when this news came down? You know, it's it's interesting that the way that you're describing it, because I think for some of us that were part of it, you're, 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 you react differently than yeah, I think you're shedding light on it that I haven't even thought of because I was sort of like, couldn't believe it. And then you're, you know, I'm going, well, you know what? You're right. It was Friday. It was sort of over Super Bowl weekend. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think there's a lot of us, but it's, it's weird. You're dispersed. So you're not like able to, it's not like you're all sitting together around a conference table saying, guys, we were right. We, this is ridiculous. <laughs> right. we, you know, yeah. You're all, you know, you're, you're texting each other going, see, holy smokes, you know, but, but how do you unring a bell? You know, yeah. it's not like we can go back and say, okay, I want that press conference back where everybody, you know, hounded me about Russia. You know, what, what do you, what do you, what do you. Sure. And, do? and, and Breitbart, you know, you might recall was in the middle of this storm as well, because we had, I think the saga was Mark Levin had reported that Trump was getting spied on. And then we just transcribed the Mark Levin segment on it and, you know, made a few calls that kind of made it seem like what Levin was reporting was adding up. And, and that was enough to just have a multiple day long cancellation um, process that went on. And of course, all of our reporting was vindicated as is Mark Levin's. And, and I barely remember it, Sean. So I, I'm not expecting CNN or the New York Times to write some sort of a kind piece that we shouldn't have written that hit piece on Breitbart five years ago. Like, of course, that's not going to happen. But it's just so what's weird, though, is, is like I said, it's it's hard not to look in the rearview mirror and to say, yeah, it can is. you imagine if I had that day over again where instead of being on defense, I could have been on offense. Right? right. So instead of right. instead of me having to t- answer eighty questions about so th- because how do you unprove something that didn't happen? And so when you're getting up there every day and saying, you know, how do you guys answer these questions about Russia? And you're sitting there saying, I was there. There was no Russia. And, well, you know, the, the you know Michael Flynn did this, and, that, and you go, well, there was no Russia. And now we know that we were right, but how do you undo that? And so. It, it, the, the hardest part about all of this is that it's just it, – it's sort of like nobody is going – and the one thing about PR is that once a story takes shape, right? So for infinitum now, it's the correction never overtakes the, the prevailing narrative. Right. So, you know, no one – this Durham report thing – you know, I think for yeah, those of us in the Trump world, we got it. We tweeted it out. Uh, Breitbart right. will put it up there. But the Washington Post and the CNNs, they're not going to. So, so you walk down the street today in Washington, D.C. or Montana or California and ask them, hey, did you see the thing about, you know, the, the Clinton folks and what they did to Trump? No. So no one's going to know that this happened. And that's the shame of it. And so, you know, the, the problem is, is that that you can't unring a bell like this. And, and so I only hope 
that somehow when this finally comes out that they that you know we're able to really uh, to to cast some light on it and that the Breitbart's and the Newsmaxes and all of us can go out there and just make sure that because I'm hoping that that we start to find out who these people are. But the idea that Mark Elias isn't hiding under a rock today and he's the Democratic super lawyer that helped coordinate all this is just unbelievable. Yeah, it is. It is truly the conspiracy was so vast and there it touches so many people. And this does strike me as a pretty important point here is just how this it does seem like the conspiracy gets more vast, the more uh, we learn. And uh, I just don't uh, I just don't know if it's being packaged in a way that is going to resonate long term. And I really I, I agree yeah, with you on that. Yeah, go ahead. I, I read through. I, Byron York actually um, on Twitter posted in four separate tweets a bunch of the key parts of the indictment uh, yeah. that I think really. And, and you're, but you're you're making a really good point because I read it and then I read it again because I was like, okay, I want to make sure because there's a whole point of this because you're starting to. Re, this is like a, a movie script where you're trying to find you're following this thing because there's like a whole thing about how a tech exec is involved and in, is in is is helping to spread the narrative as well. And I'm going, okay, so who's the tech exec? What platform is this? But like the idea that somebody had this much power to create a narrative and then um, – I mean you're reading this stuff about a cell phone, and I still don't understand it because it has to do with this DNS system, and, and it has to do with creating this narrative that somehow they were using these Russian phones, which is apparently a lot more prevalent than they made it seem to be, but that was part of the narrative. I mean – I'm reading this stuff and I'm going, okay, I don't think I fully understand this. And I had to stop and right. slow down and read it again. But you're right. I, I think it's, to, to understand the complexity in itself is a tough thing. Uh, again, uh, Sean Spicer is one of the Radical Nations of the book, Spicer and Company, on Newsmax. And we're trying to, uh, we're, we're trying to, to make sense of the media's, uh, I guess, confusion or blackout or combination thereof of uh, pretty explosive revelations that confirm, I think, what most of this audience understood, which is that Hillary Clinton did try to spy on Trump. And uh, it is a or, or really was successfully spying, to be honest with you, Sean. That's another thing here. This wasn't sort of like a botched attempt. This is uh, this is a do, do we know the what information she was able to get during this? I mean, because it really is perhaps it's more perhaps we're going too light on it in that in that sense. Well, that, that's the other thing. I mean, you know, I think one of the things that's fascinating to me is that there are more questions that are raised by this in terms of who, 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 who authorized it, who else knew about it. And there's a lot of people within the Clinton campaign and the DNC that now I think need to be held accountable. Who, who, sure. who helped fund this? Uh, how high up did it go? Um, did Hillary Clinton herself know about it? Who turned over this information once they found out about it? I mean, so I, I actually, like I said, I think that there's much, much more to this that needs to get found out. And I don't, I think for me, the other thing that's going to be fascinating is this timeline. Like, so where does this go from here? That Durham has sort of laid this out yeah. um, in these court documents. And then does that mean that, um, you know, where where does this go? Because when when do we sort of find out who Tech Exec 1 is and who these yeah, other Yeah, Tech Exec are? 1. Yeah, um, right, right, right. This is the bad guy in this saga. You guys can read our write-up of Breitbart, but Tech Exec 1 is the real is the real villain here, Sean. Right. <laughs> I mean, come on. But but I, I, I sort of, I you know, I, I sort of am going to be very intrigued um, as to who these people are. And um, and then, like I said, I think that, that that's in itself one big reveal. The other big reveal is, um, you know, who 
who knew about it and what did they do with that information? Because sure. then the other thing is, like, remember, they're all telling the FBI this stuff. This is what's kind of – they're going to the FBI with all this information that they've made up and pretending as though it's real information, i.e., they're not telling them the source. They're not saying, hey, we're, we're part of the Hillary Clinton campaign. They're going to the FBI kind of claiming, hey, we're just a concerned citizen that happens to stumble across this information, not that this is a bunch of Democratic-funded opposition research. And that's, that's why, obviously, Durham's involved in this, because this is obviously you know, criminal the way it was, went about it. Do you have a sense, Sean, about what can be done if Republicans take back power? Uh, what, what can be done to start investigating, auditing, whatever it is that needs to be done to really turn over every stone here to get to the bottom of this? Because it just seems like the whole world, even much of the right, is convinced all the bad guys are going to skate on this thing. Well, that's going to be a really interesting question because – so I think, A, Republicans will take back the House, right? Um, they will have then subpoena power. The question becomes who complies with it, uh, because just because you have it doesn't mean that they will comply. Um, and then ultimately, you know, think about it, the House of Representatives can hold someone in contempt. When you hold someone in contempt, if they fail to comply, then you send a referral to the Department of Justice. So, I mean, let's just walk through this quick. If you subpoena some folks in the Biden administration or whatever, or even in the Hillary Clinton world who fail to comply, Congress then holds them in contempt, sends a referral to the Department of Justice. The Justice Department is controlled by the Biden administration. What, what are they going to do? I mean, so, you know, is it concerning to me that, that ultimately, you know, they may, the Biden administration may just turn a blind eye? Yeah. Yeah, that's, and, and that's what, what can be expected, which is why elections matter. And um, people need to get people in power who can investigate in this stuff because uh, I, I think that there is such a, a, a clear desire for justice in this. And if it's not received, then you end up getting burdened with these horrific politicians, Hillary Clinton being the worst of them, because, uh, again, and this was something that I disagreed with President Trump on this, Sean, is that he didn't pursue Hillary Clinton uh, in a criminal sense, which I believe he should have. And now she's making a comeback um, and she's going to be out. I think she's running for president in 2024. I think that she's the, the front runner right now, probably on the Democrat side, because you can't really run Joe or Camelia Harris. So uh, who else is left? Stacey Abrams might have had a career killer moment with the posed photo of her with the mass children. So, I, I mean, I, she'll, she'll recover from it, but I don't know if she can, you know, uh, get elected anytime soon from that. So that could leave Hillary as a front runner and she should have been investigated. And this, I know it's not on you. You were, you were the press guy at the time, but it's, uh, we need to make sure the bad guys get held accountable. This has got to well, be look, lesson number I, one. I will tell you this. One of the things that you're bringing up, I had this discussion with a buddy of mine um, on Saturday afternoon, is that folks on the right, and we were talking about this in the context of Glenn Youngkin uh, down in Virginia, and, and just in the sense that we... We think we seem to think that when folks on the right take over, that we have to show the left and the media that we can be good people and be better Correct. and not fire one and not clean house. And it's like, get over it, get over it. Yes. Uh, like, why is that? Like, 
stop trying to think that they're going to like you and they're going to whatever. Just clean house, investigate, do the right thing. But, but like somehow there is this feeling, and I, and I, I know exactly what you're saying, and I don't think that was the case with Trump, but I think, frankly, part of the issue with um, the Trump administration at the beginning was there was a newness. I mean, no one expected him to win. It wasn't he. He, he was a businessman. He was an outsider. There wasn't a, a whole cadre of government type folks. Yeah. And it took like you know a year to get his sea legs. And I think knowing some of the stuff he knows now, it would be a heck of a lot different. But that was the uniqueness of Trump. And uh, and I think that on a second term, day one is going to be a lot different than it was this time. But I love what like for example, Jason Miaras did down in. Um, in you know where he walked in the attorney general's office down in Virginia in Richmond and cleaned house day one and he was like because he gets it he was like I'm not gonna just like try to play footsie with these guys and think they're gonna be my buddies he he came in and he needs business and I think that folks on the right have got to start understanding that you know we don't get they're never gonna like us it's not gonna be uh, sure. you know that that the the left the media the left they're not going to give you a break because you played nicey nice and cutesy for a minute come in do your job be aggressive focus on you know on on achieving the agenda that you that you promised the voters or or the people but you're right get to the bottom investigate um you know uncover wrongdoing because otherwise they're going to stonewall you Sean Spicer, Spicer Company, and the evenings on Newsmax and Radical Nation is the book. Thanks, Sean, and hope you come back soon. Love you. Take care, Al. Quick break. Amanda Milius, we come back. Amanda Milius is back on the show today, documentarian and also a Russiagate expert. She knows everything about it because she made a documentary about it and it, it, apolitical. And that comes up in the interview again. Uh, if you are someone who is at all open minded or if people in your life are at all open minded to figure out what actually happened with the Russian collusion hoax, she is the person to give you that information. She really does have it down cold. And the plot against the president movie is probably the quickest and most entertaining way to get it. All that comes up plus more. In this interview, Amanda, uh, we had to get your take on the latest Durham report because you're the only person who I trust <laughs> who who has actually been bullish on Durham. Um, the where's Durham jokes in the show have been myriad over the years. Well, we got we saw a little Durham over the weekend uh, and he has reported that the Hillary Clinton campaign was or the Hillary Clinton operation was was legitimately not fake, legitimately spying on Donald Trump. What did we learn? What do you think is the big things? Do you feel vindicated? And just kind of give me your 30,000 foot of what you're thinking. Um, yeah, no, I mean, look, every time you've asked me, yes, I've been bullish on Durham because Cash Patel and Devin Nunes were. And that's like I've always said every single time, like I, you know, I defer to these incredibly smart people who are aware of more than we know. Like they're yeah. aware of like more than appeared in the movie. They're they're aware of more than what they can tell me. They're they're still walking around, so they with information in their heads that none of us have ever heard. So sure, whatever they've got, like they know if they tr- like basically that's why I walk away being like yeah, like 
and you see it now, right? You see it in how they release this information. This wasn't leaked. This was like, we only heard a word about the, how, what this was going to be. We didn't get any advance notice the day before. Oh, the filing is going to contain this and that and da, da, da. I mean, do you know what kind of a, a team you have to have to accomplish that? Even people who are good guys and who are all on the right side, they can't accomplish that. Um, so th- that makes me think there's, there's something, something of a power team behind this. Um, my take on it, yes, I feel extremely vindicated. It's weird because I don't, I'm like not jumping up and down, like screaming about it the way that like a lot of people are because I, I'm literally standing here like going, I literally told you guys that a year ago. It's in a, it's in right. a movie. Like it's yeah. not, it's not even like, 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 like frankly, the part, the part, the only part that is not in the movie, but is hinted at in the movie uh, because it hadn't been revealed yet. And thank, thankfully now it is all completely come true and it's all uh, uh, been, been proven by, or at least, um, you know, pushed by Durham and given that level of credibility is the fact that they were wiretaping him in the White House. Now we all, you know, people I think have finally got it in their heads that it's not a hoax, um, that the that the wiretapping was going on and that the spying was going on. It was precisely paid for per, via Perkins Coie uh, by Hillary Clinton, um, that it was going on during the campaign. Now there's your Watergate territory, right? Obviously, um, it's it's way, it, it was already at that point worse than Watergate, right? So the part where it goes, oh, everyone's saying it's worse than Watergate. Everybody agrees is right. the fact that it was ongoing while he was not in Trump Tower, but when he was in the White House. So the thing the thing that's crazy about it is that um, that there's still Democrats walking around like it's not like it, it just it just blows my mind. There's still people, you know, uh, angling to screw over our movie in different ways because they think it's like opinion. I'm like, it's basically national geographic at this point. There's no, like, <laughs> like my movie is so factual. No, but, like, but that's not, okay. Like sure, sure. Nature documentary. Yeah. But this is a thing that comes up is that people, I mean, I, and I, I mean, my personally, I love to, you know, try to own the left with facts and logic. Like, I, I get it. I get that's the indication. But we know that's not what matters. What matters is so much of the emotional stuff. And I think that's part of why, you know, you're you you make movies is because I think you get this too. as much as your movie is uh, is incredibly accurate. Is that we have to hit people a little bit more on the emotional front because this has always been apparent. And we talked about this. Uh, last time you were on the show, or at least a recent time you are on the show, about how people were paying attention to the Russia saga, got the picture, you know, six to nine months in. That this was this was fake. Yeah. This was a total hoax. And then it's it went on basically full bore the media until because about two the, months ago. The, the NPCs need the NPCs can't understand it unless it's in like a cartoon in front of them. No, you're totally right, and I totally agree. Which is yes, why I make movies, but also why we made that particular movie in the way that we did, where it's stylish and fun and easy to watch and it feels like you're watching an action thriller because then even the normies have no excuse not to come out of it understanding (laughs) exactly what happened and exactly what the stakes are see that's the other thing is that it's not just uh a news article that's there's only so much reporting the facts can do right 
Like, right. there's only so much that can happen. What we tried to do, which I think we did, and now is, like, really freaking people out because they're like, oh, crap, if that movie's real, then the stakes are real. Because what we try to do in the movie is say, here's what happened, and here are the stakes of that. Here's why having uh, uh, a president spied upon and then thwarted for X amount of years and the, you know, head of the FBI making jokes about tricking his NSA are, to, an, to a laughing audience of seals is, is a really bad sign. And, and the fact that there's been no accountability and the, the decay of the Justice Department, and you hear Michael Anton at the end of the movie basically come to the realization that we don't have a country anymore, that's what's scaring people because they're like, oh, crap, everything else she said in that movie is true. Does that mean that's true, too? Does that mean, like, our, we don't, our Justice Department doesn't work anymore? Like, we are basically living on the, the final years of the end of the uh, empire? Because um, that's a pretty scary thought. And that, that's, finally, people are thinking that. That's where my head is every day. Uh, <laughs> but, which is, but, uh, uh, but, no, but the only line of hope here, let me, like, not, for, for the first time ever, not just black pill. Everybody's mourning as soon as I come on the radio. Um, <laughs> The, the hopeful thing out of this, though, is, like the man said, like Devin Nunes himself told me, like Cash Patel told me, the fact that Durham is running a solid operation, the fact that he's going to the places that he's going. I mean, the fact that, remember when we, when we talked a few months ago and I was like, yeah, I was like, Perkins Coie is not going to break up as a law firm without... Um, without something, without them knowing that something really bad is coming, uh, and as when we noted that Mark Elias had left Perkins Coie, uh, who, for your listeners, is the head of the um, law firm that was used to launder the money to, um, uh, to to wiretap and take down the president from the Clintons and the DNC <clears throat> via you know via them via Fusion GPS. Um, and if you'd like to see a map of exactly how that works, you can watch it at The Plot Against the President, which is on Amazon, iTunes, YouTube, and Roxen. Um, anyway, so if that, that's, that's the main... I actually really encourage people, in fact, it reminds me, I'm going to put that clip up today, because people need to see, need to understand this clearly. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's why we did that. It's like people need, people need to, to, see, to see this stuff. And I think, um, like, like they said, the only kind of shimmer of hope in this, finally coming back around to saying this, is the Durham, uh, the Durham capabilities, I guess. The, the fact that, you know, he has such, such far behaved exactly how Devin had said it would work out and, and had said that it should. He said, the longer this takes, the better. He's like, the, your problem, he's like, the way you know nothing's going to happen is if they crap something out the door really fast and, and nothing happens. The way this is being leaked, not leaked, but properly sure. released to the public, even the, the fact that um, the paper itself didn't focus on um, wiretapping as much as it did uh, other material, He's preparing the public for what he's going to reveal. In it, I mean, I could be totally wrong, but it, I'm, people, are, people who are smart and I and listening are starting to take that point of view. So, Amanda, everyone is rooting for you to be right here, but is there a, another fact pattern that maybe communicates a different narrative? I mean, Hillary Clinton is trying to come back and take over the Democrat Party right now. This is something I've been predicting for 
oh, close to a year, and it's 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 starting to happen right now. It was Super Bowl weekend. This comes out. It's the which is kind of. Uh, immediately going to get overwhelmed. It doesn't matter how big the story is. It's just going to get swallowed up. And there's just there is a sort of another fact pattern here where you think, well, maybe they're trying to even for me, it's hard for me to get too excited about some of this just because this is also apparent to me. Uh, some of the details are a little more salacious than I would have anticipated, but this is all stuff that I had uh, thought was going to come out a year ago or two years ago. And then now who does it really benefit? It kind of benefits like Kamala Harris, like Pete Buttigieg. I mean, those are the people who are kind of benefited uh, from this. I mean, yeah. Okay. So you get the award for being more black held on it than I am at the moment, but I would prefer that than nothing. <laughs> and when you are, no, I'm with you there. Are, totally. When you are the powerless side of, um, an oligarchy or a, um, any, you know, whatever you want to call this non system of government that we currently live in. Um, yes, because it's definitely not a Republic. Uh, no, I've, I've been referring to as an oligarchy for a while. No, that's, that's yeah, um, with you so, there 100%. That's what it is. A different system of government. I mean, different yeah, economic systems. You might have caught uh, Elon Musk, uh, Tesla paying uh, no taxes this year. I mean, it's just, it's a different it's a different world for the people who are the super elite. It doesn't matter. It's uh, um, It doesn't matter what the laws say. They figure out a way around them. No, absolutely. And I mean, that's so, okay, that's the situation we live in. We are peasants living in an oligarchy. That's and right. we had a win. So that's that's pretty good. Um, you know, I think it's just it's going to be a lot of those in the row. I mean, yes, it's the timing. Yeah, Hillary Clinton. Fine. I think Durham's not he's not looking at that. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the man. I don't know. I, outside of, like I said, the, the, sh- the glimmer of hope that I get from Devin and Cash and folks like that when they talk about this is really all I walk away with. I mean, timing or not, it's like, yes, it would have been better for, I mean, every, every, the president is recently, so everybody's saying, well, where was yeah. this years ago? And I mean, frankly, I'm sort of saying, where was this years ago? I made this movie like a year ago and like, it would have been cool to have not had to like, also be called like uh, a propagandist fascist right yeah. doing it. well but, but that's I, only I, for people who didn't watch it i mean the people the people who watched it know it's incredibly it's it's almost entirely apolitical also which is just a huge thing anybody, for uh, that's the other thing is i i had that conversation just in la like having this conversation i was like did you notice that it's apolitical or was it was this very was the mere presence of me not making you know uh active lies about Donald Trump like does that blind you to that I mean I had a conversation with somebody in LA who's like, involved with the film um, it's it's just hilarious they don't they don't get it they're like oh it's right wing but um, I mean anything any, basically because they've moved the overtone window to the point where it's like anyone who's not totally insane is like an alt-right fascist so you're just like I again walking around in a really weird country that I don't recognize yeah, that's how it is. I just listened to a really long interview with a guy who um, I'm sure many of the audience members have heard of. I'm not trying to give publicity, but he's really interesting and smart person who's you know, written some big books and been turned into big movies. And he sees the the uh, China for what it is so crystal clear, it's so crystal clear, gets it, gets how the lack of free press and the organ harvesting and the genocides and the 
um, and and all the the covering up of the pandemic and the suppression of Hong Kong and the information coming out of Taiwan and the disappearing of doctors, he sees it all completely clearly. But every five minutes has to attack Trump, like like it has to throw some sort of dig at Trump, total non sequitur to the conversation about China because it's like a, a code out in Hollywood that you have to remind everyone that you're sufficiently anti-Trump. And I know right. we've got some mutual friends who have been canceled for this stuff for not being right-wing at all, just for being not sufficiently anti-Trump. No, totally. And weirdly, it's the weirdest thing because, okay, look at like, even for example, guys like Marr. Marr has been coming out and has had excellent points of view on certain things like he is so good on covid he is so good on the lockdowns he is good on i mean he occasionally throughout time he's been good on certain things uh especially i mean the problem is is that he is definitely one of these people that is triggered by orange man bad like he cannot get past the man himself. And I, because I, I had this idea where, that he would be sort of, you know, and I, I continue to hopefully maybe pursue it to sort of convince him to see that, like, all the things he hated about the Republican Party were also the things that the Trump supporters hate about the Republican Party. And yeah. so it was sort of like this, like, of all the people who should be able to understand MAGA, it should be him. But there's this, like, Maybe because they both know each other from showbiz, whatever it is. There's just some yeah, let, talk there. But, let, but at least it doesn't stop him from having, you know, he still is having very bold opinions, um, uh, you know, on the Joe Rogan, even on the Joe Rogan level, right? Like of having, yeah. um, he's having unallowed opinions, so... No, and that's a good thing. And it actually makes me, it's kind of a good segue because I want to bring up the story about how all these Hollywood elites, in, including people like Steven Spielberg and Mark Ruffalo and others, were just pouring money into other races throughout the country, Senate races in particular. And it is a Hollywood carpet bagging is what we refer to it as at, at Breitbart. But it's just so inappropriate that this is being done. And why don't, don't people who are liberals, and I know many people in the Democrat Party still think of themselves as liberals, why aren't they offended by this? Even if they're supporting their own candidate, why should Steven Spielberg, who's worth billions of dollars, why should he have more say in our democracy than the average citizen? That is completely against well, what this country's all about, and we all just let it happen. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's where I think, I mean, look, obviously I agree, but here's the here's here's where you guys are missing, I think, the worse and bigger picture, which is it's not Hollywood money. It's just rich people money. And mm. it goes way beyond Hollywood. It goes into people that are very wealthy from certain industries. Um, it goes it goes all the way. I mean, everybody, every, every donor class human being donates to the cause that they like the most. Unfortunately, and this is the thing I've always said that's like funny about the left's like weird obsession with Peter Thiel. Like they're like, obsessed that he has anything to do with politics ever at right. all like 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 literally like so very very little but they like freak out about it is you're like okay guys like we we've, we've got one billionaire sort of like and when i don't yeah. even know how much we've, we've we've got them like we're not even like we're like we're really there you have all the rest like can you relax like seriously like you just want to like tell these people because they just they're the reason they do it is because they know 
they know precisely exactly what you're saying, which is that that changes elections, that that money changes elections. And it can change them in ways that are below the law, and they can change them in ways that are completely above the law, that simply have to do with financing the candidate that you like. And no, of course they shouldn't be. Um, I don't I don't think candidates should really be able to take money from out of state, um, out of their, you know, representatives. But uh, that would be that would change politics drastically. And uh, I don't I don't see anybody else arguing for it. It's good it's, it's for people that uh, we're friends with as well. Um, National uh, uh, Amanda, let, let me um, I, I got some limited time here and I want to talk about your new movie at least a little bit because I want to get people jacked sure. up on this. But to, 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 to say I agree with you and to say that I think that it's not merely isolated to Hollywood, that it's basically every major industry from big tech to Wall Street to the lobbying class. Money. Yeah, it, and it all money. needs to be people. thoroughly investigated. And uh, this will be something that I'm going to spend the next couple of years. Uh, basically on this exact concept like, because I'm uh, the, getting ready to do some more deep research into this because I think this is the story that needs to be told, exactly what we're just talking about right now. But another story that needs to be told, the story of John McAfee. Uh, tell me what you're planning for this documentary. Well, I have to say, okay, so the, when we were at this point in, in PADIP and Plot Against the President, um, we, uh, now I'm letting you guys into a like little uh, intercompany um uh, language um, pad up is plot against the president. The uh, yeah, you guys should feel really special. You're in the club now. Um, the uh, the thing that happened is when we had done when we were at this stage on that movie, nobody knew a word of it. I was still working at State Department by the time I'd seen uh, seen the thing. No money had changed hands because you know we hadn't started the company until I resigned. But like we had the manuscript before it came out in, in November of uh, 2019. So I had seen it and had a, at least a napkin option written down um, as soon as possible. I mean, the idea that, uh, that it's just weird that now based so that just so you guys understand, that's where we're at. Like we've just now optioned the material. So what we're, what we're doing is the doc fund portion of our company is uh, launched is basically in its in its very first phases of fundraising and uh, has been doing really really well. Um, it's it's literally just been created. So um, we it's we have to decide. You know, is that is that is that going to be the first one? We're also talking, as you know, again optioning another piece of material from Lee Smith which is based on his viral article, The 30 Tyrants, which is about America's relationship with China over the span of 50 years um, and is biting and incredible. And it went viral for a reason. Um, and uh, anyway, so, you know, there's a lot there's a lot to get get started. Again, I'm not necessarily directing everything I'm produce. I'm like, you know, I think probably would be considered a heavy handed producer, but uh, producing everything. And the idea of this company is, you know, find and push other up and coming, really good directors, you know, uh, so, so that's that's the idea. I think. So, Amanda, you know, if people want to support you, aside from watching Plot Against the President on uh, uh, Apple or Apple uh, Apple or Amazon or um, Rockfin, uh, where else can people go if they want to uh, back some of your projects? Actually, they can go to Salem Now. Now we uh, are recently launched on Salem Now, which has apps on all of those devices, um, which is obviously a very patriot. Um, 
uh, friendly uh, company. So people who don't want to watch it on Amazon, there's that. Uh, it's up on YouTube Premium, iTunes, Rockfin. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've just added uh, Salem now. Very cool. Thanks, Amanda. We'll have you back as, uh, s- as soon as possible. I got American parts. All right. Thanks again to producers Haley and Greg Eben, who make the show sound crisp and clean every day. Thanks to all of you who've told 10,000 friends and family members about the show. Robert Marlowe helps me pick topics and Breitbart.com for all the latest headlines. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.